Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you uh, laying out our prayers and requests for the persecuted church. God, I ask that as we um, pour out our petitions, as we hear your word uh, proclaimed, I ask that you would uh, give us bigger hearts to uh, love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling uh, in unspeakable ways at the hands of wicked men, at the hands of uh, wicked religions, at the hands of wicked governments. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In the past several years, we have been joining with other congregations from many different denominations around the world uh, in order to set aside the first Sunday in November to dedicate the worship uh, of the church to praying for the persecuted church throughout the world. On the Open Doors website, a definition of Christian persecution is given as follows. The term persecuted Christians refers to any person who is harassed or attacked simply because they identify as being a Christian. Examples of persecution faced by Christians include, but is not limited to, beatings, physical torture, confinement, isolation, rape, severe punishment, imprisonment, slavery, and discrimination in education and employment. And of course, this definition, although not saying it, would also include uh, martyrdom. Given that definition, it is estimated that more than 245 million Christians are persecuted each year. That is about one in nine Christians living in the world today. In the past years, we've shown videos uh, of people telling their stories of their own personal persecution, uh, mostly in, uh, in communist countries or in Muslim uh, countries. And we've done this, uh, we've shown their stories and videos to raise awareness of the plight of Christians who are suffering in, in uh, these nations where Christianity is outlawed. This year, however, the emphasis is going to be on giving you some practical steps that you can take in order that you might pray more effectively for persecuted Christians in your own personal prayers. If you have not yet done so, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 13 so that you can follow along uh, this morning. And as Houston uh, told us, uh, you can find, find it on your, in your pew Bibles on page 1009. The first practical step that you can take to, cultiv- um, to pray more effectively for the persecuted church is to cultivate your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering daily because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So look at verse 1. 
Let brotherly love continue. This verse is telling us not only to express brotherly love, but to maintain it, to cultivate it. Uh, And it needs, our brotherly love for our brothers and sisters in Christ needs cultivation. Otherwise, we so easily get caught up with our own concerns. Newsflash, we can easily be self-concerned, even self-consumed. And so if we're busy about our own affairs, if we're busy loving ourselves, brotherly love for Christians on the other side of the world that we've never met, well, that love uh, for them will easily dry up and fade away. I love what A.W. Pink says in his comments on Hebrews 13, verse 1. And those of you who are more horticulturally uh, acclimated or those of you who have the green thumbs among us are likely to appreciate his comments. Uh, He says, Brotherly love is a tender plant which requires much attention. If it be not watched and watered, It quickly wilts. Brotherly love is an exotic plant, for it is not native to the soil of the self-centered flesh. Yes, brotherly love is a very tender plant and quickly affected by the cold air of unkindness, easily nipped by the frost of harsh words. If it is to thrive, it it must carefully needs be... uh, I'm sorry, it must needs be carefully protected and diligently cultivated. We need to cultivate brotherly love towards Christians who are suffering because it's easy for us to forget that there are Christians who are suffering daily unspeakable persecution in many places throughout the world. And typically, these places where they are suffering persecution... It's not being advertised. They're in third world countries where there's not uh, a lot of, of video coming out, where the people are generally poor. You add to that, in many of these countries that are more totalitarian, they don't allow uh, news of persecution to get out. They control the news. They control what is being said. Christians... And even those who are not Christians but are horrified by the persecution, they're afraid to speak out because there's the secret police who might turn them in. In the Muslim countries, if you're found to be a Christian, uh, you can be killed. If you are, if you know a Christian like your daughter or your your wife or someone is a Christian and you're not a Christian. You can be held liable if you don't turn them in. And so it's easy to forget about these people because we don't hear about them that often. And then you add to that, although our culture has become more secular, our culture has become less appreciative of Christians and of Christianity we don't really have to give much concern to the possibility that we ourselves might suffer any kind of significant persecution. 
to cultivate brotherly love for our Christians, we must at least know what they are going through, right? We've got to know what they're suffering. And so I've asked Chris Jackie. Uh, he's uh, uh, right on the, on the money here to put up a slide and give us um, and leave it up during the rest of the sermon. It gives three prominent places that you can go and find information about persecuted Christians around the world. Open Doors, uh, their website. I like the way it's organized. Uh, being an un- unorganized person, I appreciate that it is very well organized and it has a, a watch list for the most um, the countries that persecute Christians the most. Uh, and you can find information very easily. And then, of course, a lot of us are on Facebook. I'm not really on Facebook that much, but I know a lot of you are. And so there's a Facebook page uh, developed to the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. And then Voice of the Martyrs, who has been calling attention to persecution of Christians for decades and decades. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs has a, a website dedicated to the day, of, uh, the day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And it's persecution.com. So these are some... Uh, places you can go and inform yourself of the plight of Christians who are suffering persecution. And the reason I give you this information and want you to take, make use of this information is I want your love, your brotherly love for Christians who are being persecuted to uh, hearken back to A.W. Pink's little quote. I want your love for them to bloom and to grow. This command in Hebrews to cultivate brotherly love is, is more than just a mere isolated command. R- rather, it flows from a deep reality that we are their brothers and sisters in Christ. We haven't met these people who are living in North Korea or in um, some of these other countries, Iran. But they are our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. There's this profound passage in Hebrews chapter 2 that explains why Jesus took on human flesh in order that he might be our faithful high priest. Several times it refers to Christians, or several times Jesus refers to Christians as his brothers. Verse 11 contains one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible when it says that Christ is not ashamed to call us his brothers or call them uh, brothers. The them there in this phrase is us. The them there in this phrase is me. Christ is not ashamed to call me his brother. If I were Christ, I'd be ashamed of me, wretched sinner that I am. But our Lord Jesus Christ, even though He knows us, and He knows our sins, and He hates our sins so much that He was willing to die on the cross for our sins that they might be forgiven and wiped away. He's not ashamed call us his brothers. And so our brotherhood that we share with Christ 
is a shared brotherhood that we share with Christians all over the world because it's derived from Christ Himself. He became our brother when He took on flesh and entered into our humanity. And then He brought us into union with Himself in order that He might redeem us by His blood on the cross. Furthermore, through Christ we are adopted into God's family as our Father's dearly loved children. Our mutually brotherly relation with Christians all over the world is real. It's genuine. It's not just fancy words. And so it is obligatory for us to cultivate brotherly love towards all Christians, even those that we will never meet on this side of eternity. I suppose I should say a uh, brief word about verse 2. It's such a curious verse that I know that many of you have questions about it. Verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The book, here's what's going on in this passage. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. And the persecution um, was so pressing upon them at the time that the book of Hebrews was written uh, that Christians all over Judea were being displaced from their homes. The book of Acts says some had to go all the way to Antioch and and other places uh, to escape the persecution. (coughs) And Jesus told His disciples, He said, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next town. And so that's what Christians were doing as the persecution from... uh, the, the Jews who hated the, the Jewish Christians who had converted to Christ, uh, as they were persecuting them, the Christians were being displaced. They were fleeing to different towns. They didn't have a Hampton Inn. They didn't have hotels back then. Where are these people going to stay? Presumably, they are going to stay with people, with Christians who are in the church in the next town or in the next nation, even. And so, uh, the writer of Hebrews is telling the, the Christians, when a stranger appears at your door, a fellow Christian who's being persecuted from Judea or wherever, open your home to them. Not just for a night, but let them be a guest in your home. So he's, he's telling, what he's doing here in verse 2 is he is encouraging the Christians to, to eagerly practice hospitality. Now it's the second half of verse 2 that raises all the questions when it says, Thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And you wonder, have I entertained an angel unaware? Well, I think this verse... Uh, goes back to Genesis 18 where Abraham entertained two angels, where he entertained God and, and two angels. And then in Genesis 19 where Abraham's nephew Lot entertained uh, those same two angels. And so 
It's two men. You could go to other places in the Bible as well. They entertained angels unawares. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews has in mind here. Not that we are entertaining angels every time or maybe even sometimes or maybe even one time that we have opened our home uh, to someone we did not know. Now, I'm not saying that this is... That, that's my understanding of this passage. I think that's the correct understanding, but I know there may be differences. And so I will say, God can do anything He wants to do. If He wants to send angels into our homes incognito, uh, He can do it. And actually, Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36 uh, suggest that when we show compassion and hospitality to the afflicted, we are doing so unto the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That we're entertaining Christ when we entertain someone who uh, and show them hospitality when they need that hospitality. Verse 3, then, to move on, gives us other practical steps that can help you pray more effectively for the persecuted Christians in your own personal prayers. Verse 3, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Those in prison that the writer has in mind are most likely Jewish Christians who have been arrested for their faith in Jesus Christ. They've been thrown in jail. Remember how the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts was going into different towns and arresting Christians before he became a Christian, and he would drag them off into prison. And so there were many Christians uh, who were being thrown into jail, ripped away from their families, ripped away from their wife, their, their children, wives ripped away from the husband, thrown in prison. Uh, they're suffering persecution. And so this first word in verse 3 is remember. It means more than to merely think about them from time to time or to bring them to mind. The sense of the word in verse 3 when he, when he says remember um, or let brotherly love continue um, is to, to feel for them or to take to heart their circumstances and to have compassion toward them. In other words, they're to have sympathy toward them. Look, at, look closely at verse 3. They were called to share the same feelings and experience, so to speak, as those who are suffering. Again, verse 3. Um, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Uh, They were to imagine what those who were in prison were living through and then to grieve along with them. It might be helpful to understand the difference between sympathy and empathy to understand the attitude we're called to have towards persecuted Christians. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I had the two mixed up in my mind and I thought, well, I should probably check and see if I'm going to use this. And I looked it up and realized um, empathy, I was using empathy as if it were sympathy and sympathy if it were empathy. So um, 
I had it mixed up, so I'll give a little definition of the two words. Um, An empathetic person understands what a person is going through, but keeps an emotional distance. And sometimes this can be helpful. If you have an emotional uh, distance, you're able to give someone some wise counsel who is too close to the situation, who's too close, who's too embedded in the suffering. And so when you're, when the suffering is all you're feeling and experiencing, that's might be all you're seeing and you might forget that there's a bigger perspective that God is in control of your suffering and the persecution you are experiencing. And so empathy might be helpful, but a sympathetic person enters into the suffering of the other person. They hurt because the other person is hurting. They grieve alongside those who have experienced loss. They enter into their experience. It has been said that sympathy is two hearts tugging at at the same load. In verse 3, we're called to be sympathetic, to enter into the suffering and grief of our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering persecution. That last phrase of verse 3 makes this clear. Uh... Again, up until late last night, I assumed that the phrase uh, at the end of verse 3, since you are in the body, I assumed that it meant that since you are part of the body of Christ, you must be sympathetic because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 26 and 27, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And most commentators agree with this um, view of verse 3. However, uh, last night I became convinced that the writer is using this phrase to speak of the reader's own bodily um, existence in the flesh. And so his implied point is that we must be sympathetic with those who are suffering because we are not necessarily immune to the same kinds of sufferings since we also have a bodily experience. So I think that's what he's saying. He's not saying we're all members of the body of Christ. He's saying you have a body, I have a body, we all have bodies. So we are, none of us are immune to suffering persecution. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Second uh, Corinthians Uh, Chapter 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So, we should expect it. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 4, it seems as if the writer uh, is telling them to expect persecution in their future. And so he had said in Hebrews 12 verse 4, In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood or shedding your blood. This implied that their time to suffer may very well be coming in the near future. So they should prepare by sympathizing with those who are suffering. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, in other words. We're called to sympathize with those who are suffering persecution 
but it's not an easy thing to do. It seems far-fetched that we're about to suffer any kind of significant persecution in our own country. And how can we really sympathize when we are surrounded by such abundance, by such freedom, and we generally live an easy lifestyle? So it can make it difficult to, to genuinely sympathize with those who are not. Again, a first step is learning about the plight of persecuted Christians using these resources or other resources. Learn about their suffering. You can't sympathize with them if you don't know what they're going through. And beyond that, we might want to consider praying for them with fasting. Because as our hunger pains grow and our mind becomes consumed with the thought of eating, we might better be able to enter into the sufferings of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are unwillingly going without because of their faith in Christ. So these are some practical steps we can take. But I want to end my comments by reminding you that... Even though we have practical steps we can take, God has done the most important thing that enables us to uh, pray for the persecuted church. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering is a grace that God has poured out through His Holy Spirit, has poured out into our hearts when He drew us to the Lord Jesus. In other words, He's made us a loving people. The Lord Jesus said, you'll recognize them by their love one for another. That's axiomatic, because that Christ has, has poured out His love for us in the Holy Spirit. He's made us a loving people. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Love for the body of Christ is stamped upon our hearts as, a, as an essential part of our salvation. So let us be a praying people. People who are praying fervently sympathetically, continually for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering persecution. Amen.